Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and uh, we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're going to look today at the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, which is chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It is the famous story of Jesus encountering the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the conversation that transpires between them and the um, consequences of, uh, of their coming to, to recognize the Lord and returning to Jerusalem and telling the disciples that, that they had seen him and, uh, and spoken with him and traveled on the road with him. The, uh, some of the commentators say that there is an older story that the real proclamation of the uh, resurrection came from outside of the city of Jerusalem. And they speculate that perhaps Luke was familiar with that and was using this particular situation um, to incorporate that, that ancient theme into his gospel. But all of that is speculation and honestly as far as what the meaning of the gospel is concerned, it's not, you know, it's not critical at all. But, uh, but the, the gospel begins, two of the disciples of Jesus were on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking together about all that had happened. And now, and as they talked this over, Jesus himself came up and walked by their side. But something prevented them from recognizing him. And he said to them, what matters are you discussing as you walk along? And they stop short, their faces downcast. So we have another post-resurrection story, another one where for some reason they do not recognize the Lord. Obviously, as disciples of Jesus, they knew what he looked like. And, uh, and they're taken aback now because a stranger joins them. They don't know who the stranger is. And uh, they're discussing, of course, they're going to tell him what they're discussing. And... Um, and when he asks them the question, what, what are you, you know, what's your discussion? And this is not really intrusive. This is very, apparently very Middle Eastern, that this kind of hospitality, this kind of uh, openness is, is very much a part of the culture. And so it goes on, one of them called Clopas, or Cleopas, answered him. He said, you must be the only person staying in Jerusalem who doesn't know that things have been happening there for the last few days. And uh, obviously, if they're disciples of Jesus, they're very aware of what has been happening with Jesus in the last few days. And Jesus asked them, what things? Well, they said, all about Jesus of Nazareth. And they answered, who proved he was a great prophet by the things he said and did in the sight of God and of the whole people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and had him crucified. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. And this is not all too, and this is not all. Two whole days ago have gone by since it all happened, and some women from our group have astounded us. They went to the tomb in the early morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back to tell us. They had seen a vision of the angels who declared he was alive. And some of our friends went to the tomb and found everything exactly as the women had reported, but of him, they saw nothing. 
So here's the story, and actually here's the story of the discovery of the empty tomb that we find in the Gospel of John. And John and Luke are not necessarily uh, very dependent on each other at all. And there's a, there's a large, uh, there's a, a 30, at least a 30-year span between uh, the narrative of Luke and the, and the narrative of John. But they do say, you know, the women went to the tomb and uh, the angel said he's alive. And so they ran to the disciples and the disciples, some of our friends, Peter and John, go to the tomb and they say that they, they saw it exactly as the women had reported, but they didn't see anything there. They didn't see anyone. So now they are explaining to Jesus what their reaction is to the disappointment. Listen to the disappointment. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. And this is not all. But two whole days ago have gone by since it all happened. So we had hoped that he was the one who would set Israel free. Remember, we have talked very often, and I'm sure everyone is familiar with the idea, that the expectations of the people of Israel concerning um, who the Messiah would be were all tied up in many ways with the uh, idea of a restoration of the kingdom of David. Much of it was. That's why they referred to him as the son of David and so forth, that this was going to be a renaissance, a rebirth of the Davidic kingdom, when the great king was able to conquer the neighbors and rule over Israel and Judah and so forth. And yet, you know, that's what we were hoping would happen, they said, but, but that's not what happened. And so there's tremendous disappointment in their voice. And I think this is a theme that, that for me is a very important theme for us to factor in to our own understanding, not only of the life of Christ, but actually of the life of Christ's church as well. For Jesus, part of the reason he died and part of the reason he was rejected was because he was a disappointment to Israel. Even his disciples, we see now, are disappointed in him. We had hoped that he would be this person, but that's not what happened. And we find the same thing going on in Matthew 16, 18, when Peter proclaims Jesus Messiah. And then Jesus said, now I'm going to tell you what it means to be the Messiah. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to be scourged, and I'm going to be, and I, I'm going to be executed. And, uh, and Peter says to him, no, that's not the way. It, can, it can't be that way. It, it, it just can't be that way. And, uh, and Jesus, because Peter has the same expectation that these two men have, you know, that Jesus is going to, in a way, be the one who reestablishes the Davidic kingdom. And so when, in fact, he, he says he's not going to, Peter takes exception with that and corrects him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking as people do, not as humans do. You're not as God does. And so, in other words, step back. You're not in charge. You're not the one who's going to tell us the way it's going to be. And that's a correction and an admonition that rings throughout the century. Because many, many people want to tell God how things are going to be because they think that's the way 
they should be. This disappointment, and this is just uh, to, for, to expand this reflection somewhat, this disappointment carries over to the Church of Christ as well. For we know that in the heyday of the Church, we had expect that the Church would wipe out evil, that the Church would establish a great heavenly kingdom, a great kingdom of goodness and truth and holiness throughout the world. Um, it was the expectation that was very much a part of the um, evangelical efforts of the 20th century, for instance. But those hopes were dashed in the outbreak of the First and the Second World War because they were the church, the people of the church, actually were involved in the horrendous bloodshed of the First World War, a senseless, meaningless war, with a struggle basically between Germany and England over, over who's going to rule the seas. Um, and then the horrors of the Second World War that added, added to the, the, uh, the, the murderous consequences of that war. We had added onto it the horrors of the Holocaust when systematically an enti entire populations of people were sent to the gas chambers and to the execution camps, and that six million Jews died because of, of, that, of that hatred that led to murder. But it wasn't just the Jews, it was the Slavs, it was the mentally deficient, it was the physically di disabled, it, it was the, the homosexuals, it was the gypsies. All of them being considered undesirable within society, were sent to be executed at Auschwitz and and uh, to Reisenstadt and and uh, and uh, Mauthausen and and uh, Dachau and all the rest of them. And when it was all over, when it was all over, everyone said, "What? Where was the church? Why didn't the church stop this? Why didn't the church not let this happen?" And then, is to kind of finish off the disappointment, we had Rudolf Hochhus' book, The Deputy, The Stellvertreter, come out and basically place the blame personally on Pius XII as the icon of ecclesiastical failure of the 20th century in order that, that failed to pre prevent these horrendous and vicious wars. The disappointment, we had thought that the church would overcome this evil. We had thought that the church would be able to bring the conversion of heart to people, that they would not sink into such darkness and such evil. And so the church has disappointed us. And this underlies the whole chaos of, of the church in Europe and the whole abandonment of the church in Europe. Yeah, we trusted you and you failed us. Listen to this. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. And yet, he did not. He did not. And that, as a matter of fact, he was crucified. And he was sentenced to death. And our leaders handed him over. And, and the whole people were shocked and disappointed that Jesus had failed them. He had failed to achieve the goals that they had set for him.
exactly as his mystical body, the church, fails to achieve the goals that are set out for them. For it was not the institutional church that created the havoc in Europe. It was those who belonged to it. It was the people of the church who turned away from the faith and who wreaked havoc upon all of Europe and ourselves and other parts of the world before the 20th century was over. And unfortunately, we seem to be at it again. But as a matter of fact, it's because our expectations are not God's expectations. God's expectation of the church is for it to be an instrument of the holiness of our people. God's expectation of Jesus was that he was to be the savior, the redeemer of the world. He was to introduce this world, this life, this interiority of the human person, which would then seek the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. They wanted the kingdom of man exactly as the Christians in the 20th century wanted to establish the dom their own dominance. And they themselves then were the ones who created the havoc. It wasn't the mystical body of Christ. It was the sinful and the unfaithful and the ones who did not want to understand. The ones who with Peter said, no, that's not the way it's going to be. The ones who with these two men on the road to Emmaus were able to say, boy, are we, we, are, so, we are so terribly disappointed. We are, we are, you know, we are crestfallen because he did not accomplish what we wanted him to accomplish. And, and so basically then we, we enter into a parallel. And, I, and I've said before, you know, none of the scripture is intended to be locked into the first century. It is the story of every age and of all peoples. And that's why, for instance, in the prayer and meditation method of St. Ignatius Loyola, he invites us to enter into these stories, enter into these gospel stories, and to identify ourselves as present to the events that the gospels foretell in order that we might come to a deeper personal understanding of the dynamic of the age and the dynamic of how all of this how all of this unfolds and what all of this is and so basically then what we have is the disappointment but then they say but then they say there's something there's something strange going on because even though we're crestfallen, even though we're disappointed, even though things didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to turn out, even all of those things, yet there's something strange about it all because the group, the, some, some of the women in our group astounded us because they went, they, they went to the tomb where Jesus was buried and they said they saw angels who told them that he was alive. And so they told the disciples and two of our friends, and we hear this story in John's Gospel, two of our friends hurry to the tomb and they see what the women saw, but, but they didn't see him anywhere. And so we don't know what's going on. It's very confusing.
The time involved, of course, is the Sunday after Passover, and it is the day then when, after the Sabbath, when all of the Jews of, uh, who have come to Jerusalem for the Passover are on the way home. And so this is a normal, a normal time for them to leave the city, a normal time for them to be on their way home. They had come to Jerusalem filled with hope and filled with anticipation, and now they're going home disappointed, crestfallen, sad, because what had happened was so disappointing and so crushing for them. And yet, there's something funny going on, something strange going on, they say. And so Jesus then says to them, you foolish men, so slow to believe the full message of the prophets. Was it not ordained that the Christ should suffer and so enter into his glory? And then starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, he explained to them the passage throughout the scripture that were about himself. Now this is fascinating too. Because we have a tendency, we have too great a tendency to say, well, you know, the, the Old Testament is about God the Father and the New Testament's about uh, God the Son and, uh, and the church is about the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what we find out in this passage, not so. What we find out is that the prophets were talking about Jesus all the time, and he tells them this. They were talking about who he was. We can see it very clearly, most clearly perhaps for ourselves in the suffering servant passages of the prophecies of Isaiah. But Jesus says all the way going back to Moses, the anticipation is him. And the early fathers of the church saw it exactly the same way. And they said that the mystery of Christ is to be found in the secret that is locked in the Old Testament, and that that secret is the presence of the Word among the peoples of Israel. And only after the incarnation of Jesus is it clear to us exactly how what the Old Testament really means and what it, and what it says. Jesus is saying this right here on the road to Emmaus. Pope Benedict XVI said that, that the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament is, is the coming of Christ. And of course, he was immediately accused of anti-Semitism. Um, well, if he was anti-Semitic, uh, so is Jesus, because they're both saying the same thing. He went back to Moses and through all the prophets and explained to them the passages throughout the scriptures that were about himself. If that doesn't mean that the word is discussed, the word is revealed in the Old Testament, then it doesn't mean anything. And Jesus usually doesn't say something that means nothing. And so basically, they seem to be fascinated by this discussion. Oh my, you know, maybe, maybe this is the way things were supposed to go. Maybe this isn't such a disaster after all. And so when they drew near to the village to which they were going, he made as if he was going to go on. But they pressed him to stay with them, for it was nearly evening, and the day was almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And now while he was with them, at table, he took the bread, said the blessing, then he broke it and handed it to them. Now the commentators say this is not the Eucharist. This is just a meal that they have. 
But I think that there are others who suspect that it is a Eucharistic image also. The breaking and the blessing of the bread is exactly the same, the same kind of uh, narrative that we find in the institutional narratives of the Eucharist at, at, in, and in the, uh, <clears throat> in the Gospels. So is it or isn't it? But at any rate, whether it is or whether it isn't, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So that whatever it was about Jesus they didn't recognize, all of a sudden it dawned on them who he was and they saw him then as he was. They realized they hadn't seen him clearly before. They hadn't seen him distinctly before. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Wasn't that, wasn't that an experience to have God himself interpret his word to us on the road to Emmaus, to tell us what it meant, to reveal to us the secret of the prophets, to show us more deeply what our own tradition was, what our own heritage had been, how little we were, how little we were aware of it, how little we appreciated it. Isn't that, wasn't, wasn't that something phenomenal, they said. And so they turned around immediately and hurried back to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven assembled. So as part of a group of disciples, they knew where the apostles would be in Jerusalem. And so they found them and they were all there. And they were there with some other friends. And he said, and who said to them, yes, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Exactly what St. Paul tells us. He appeared first to Peter. Then they told their story of what had happened on the road and how they had recognized him at the breaking of the bread. Despite what so many of the commentators say, and, and I'm not an expert to contradict them, but it just seems very much so that there is a Eucharistic tone to this particular passage. Because once we step back and once we then enter into this whole question <clears throat> of the, the Messiah as a disappointment, and the Messiah's presence among us as the church as a disappointment, which brings on the wrath and the disgust of the people and leads them to persecute and leads them to punish and leads them to crucifixion. And just as Jesus carried with him the burden of the sins of the world, so the church itself also in its every fiber carries the sin of the world with it in disgrace as Jesus did in disgrace and heads toward the ignominious death that Jesus headed toward, but with the same kind of confidence and hope in the Father and the same kind of confidence and hope in the resurrection. For the church will not die and will not be killed until the end of time. And when we reach the end of that created entity of time, when it is all over, the church will rise as Jesus did in glory. And with it, carrying with it the forgiveness of the sins that it, borne, that it bore within its life's pilgrimage. So then, then we can also take another look at this story. And we can say, isn't this kind of a paradigm of the Mass? Isn't it kind of like 
we come to the church with the burdens of our everyday life. We come to the church, you know, with family troubles and family problems and all of the things that each of us carry. And then we encounter the proclamation of the Word of God. And the point of the proclamation of the Word of God is to open to us the inner meaning of that, what the Fathers called the mysterion, the mystical meaning of it, which is that Jesus is contained within it. He is, in fact, the substance of the Scriptures. It is the Word, and He is the Word. It is His revelation to us. So we find that, we hear that, and then once we take that into ourselves, and the priest then begins to address the Father in preparation for the coming of Christ, then at the breaking of the bread, we recognize and we know that the Lord Jesus is here, and we even say, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Who is the Lamb of God? Who is the Lamb that was slain? Who is the Passover feast of the new covenant? It is Jesus. And it, it, is, it is revealed to us in the scriptures, and it is, it is affirmed in the most dramatic of terms in the book of Revelation. The lamb that was slain but still lives. The great Passover, the great deliverance of people from the sinfulness of their lives and the sinfulness of our world. And then at the breaking of the bread, when it is over, we turn and we leave. But what do we do? We carry with us, we carry with us the strength and faith and the firm conviction that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we carry that word and that spirit within us back into the world in which we live our everyday lives. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Yeah.